right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sala here coming to you live-ish, whatever you want to call it, from Sea Island. We went up to uh, Sea Island today, uh, watched the press conference, Jay Monahan's press conference and Rory's uh, with Keith Mitchell. Uh, We've been talking with Keith for a long time about him coming on at some point to uh, get his perspective on everything that's going on in the golf world. You'll see kind of quickly why he's kind of the perfect guy to talk to about a lot of this stuff. He was excellent. Uh, Talked about immediate reaction to everything. It's very fresh as we go to record it, so... Bear with us as we kind of work through some of the details of uh, what had just happened today. I want to give a shout out, of course, to our friends at Roback. You guessed it. I'm wearing one of their hoodies right now. I'm wearing their hoodies on a pretty much daily basis, even though it's way too hot down in Florida and uh, in Southeast Georgia as well to be wearing hoodies. Their performance polos, they fit so much better than your typical boxy polos. Their four-way stretch, next level, material super soft, stays wrinkle-free. The founders went through over 20 iterations on the collar alone to help ensure it keeps its shape. Also, their performance Q-zips are a game changer. The definition of soft, you can wear them on the golf course, off the golf course. I keep one stored in my golf bag. Uh, I've played a, a fair amount of golf in some cooler climates lately, and they serve as a great outerwear in the early mornings. And lastly, the performance hoodies, the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. We'll be having more of these in our shop this fall. They may be the softest, most comfortable performance hoodies on the entire market. And again, the sneaky thing about them, you can wear them multiple times without needing to wash them. They're just they're just good quality material. They're gaining traction big time, and you can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order. That's Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees with code NLU. Here is Keith Mitchell. All right, we are hitting record on this roughly 68 seconds after the uh, press conference mania of today. It was very interesting to sit here with you, Mr. Keith Mitchell, in your home as uh, watching the, the future of your career play out. A lot of really good, positive things as a PGA Tour player to see happening. I, I don't think as a PGA Tour player, regardless of where you are, you should be, you know unhappy with what was happening because it's everything that they announce is only things that benefit everyone and that's you know it it seems like of course you know we find all our news on twitter these days there's some people out there saying it's only benefiting the top players and you know being in the meetings and stuff i i don't see that as the case and i'm excited to say that like it's as a PG, I'm a fringe PGA Tour. I'm the definition of a fringe PGA Tour player, finishing in the you know, 30s. For well, I got I don't what I finished this year, 40 something missing. But I've been in the BMW Championship four out of five years, minus COVID, and I've never made this Tour Championship. So I'm not a top player, but I'm all like that fringe top 50 in the world, getting in the majors, not getting in the majors, like always trying to adjust your schedule. And I feel like I'm benefiting from this. If I play well and I, you know, can play in the, all these elevated events, like that's fantastic. And that's where I wanted to kind of start with is, you know, it seems like there's and they're not even tiers, but I almost think, think there's three tiers here, right? There is the the guys that were in that room, right? And I thought you'd be the most interesting guy to talk to because one, those guys in the room are not speaking publicly about what went down in the room last week, 
But the next tier is the guys that will be, as of now, looking like they're in a great position to qualify and be in these elevated events. And then the next tier is the guys that are not currently in the position to be able to qualify for these events. And I think those are three different stakeholders in this. And I'm curious to, to kind of start from... Are you comfortable with this group of players? And I don't know if this is the reality, but the perception being these players are deciding the future of the PGA Tour uh, through, you know, through Rory, through Tiger, through the policies that they've recommended. Are you comfortable with how that is trending currently? I, I, I'm comfortable because they're doing it together and bringing it to the tour and trying to make the tour better. They're not doing it behind the tour's back and going to another tour and try to using his leverage for that tour. Like, I think that's the biggest difference here is like Roy said it perfectly in his press conference. Like we're doing this together to help the tour. It's like, we're only reason it's, it's quote unquote secret is because they don't want any misinterpretation of the media and putting it out and not saying what is really true and not true. And that's exactly what still happened. Like there's multiple articles that, you know, I mean, I'm finding a lot of my golf news on Twitter right now and it's so interpreted and opinionated that these guys are like, look, we want to bring this to the tour the right way and we want to make sure it gets to the tour exactly how we want it to the tour and have no preconceived notions before anything happens. We want Jay to be able to announce these things. We want to be able to announce these things and not the other way around. So I think when people understand that, that's the difference because these guys have talked to a lot of players outside of the meeting about what was talked about in the meeting. And that's not to say that they're trying to hold anything from the other guys. It's just simply saying like, Hey, this is the direction we think we should go in. What are your thoughts and what can we do to do it? If you don't mind, like don't share this to the media so we can make sure that it comes out properly. And that didn't necessarily yeah, unfold it, that way. Exactly. There's but. nothing that what you've described there, what any player has described from that room that that uh, and what you know Jay Monahan's been involved with this for going back to July at least I don't know the exact dates but has been kept abreast of what's been going on with Tiger and Rory but like there was a step in this process that included these top players got to get in the same room and 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 come up with a plan amongst them an agreement amongst them that we need to be together on the course more often from there we can work on getting this into policy but this is not a coup in this room but let's discuss right now our commitment to each other and this tour and and getting elevated events that we're all going to play in. And that is, you know, ideally in a perfect world, that's a step in the process. You wouldn't even get out to the public, right? That would just be like, Hey, let's, the initial discussion is not the news. The news is going to be coming from the policy change. Right. And that's the most important thing is they just all know that they should play together. And there has already been elevated events on the PGA tour. It just hasn't been officially acknowledged to say the least because you know I'm 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 I was like third to last guy in the field at WGC at the match play or something like that right you know I got into the open by a top 10 at RBC and I got into the PGA off the points list so these are all criterias to get in these bigger tournaments that are essentially elevated tournaments right so it's just the tour recognizing for the first time that's saying, hey, these tournaments are better, and the top players are recognizing that we all need to make sure we play those tournaments to make sure they are better, and that's not anything unheard. That's not some. It's not coolable. I don't even know that's right a yeah. word, but that's just like <laughs> saying out loud, hey, we understand that these tournaments are probably bigger than the others, and so we just all need to make sure we play in them. 
and there's it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Yeah, I I want to kind of uh, I don't know what the, what the question is to to start from on this, but I, I I'm gonna go I'm gonna pick on Mackenzie Hughes just a little bit, and he he had an article or a Ryan Labner article came out on GolfChannel.com that Mackenzie Hughes called it Live 2.0, the new setup, and I will give Mackenzie the benefit of the doubt here. That he had not seen the he had only seen the reports that had come out Saturday. Right, the the things that we or we as the guys in the group tried to avoid, right. and then Mackenzie Hughes got caught in that trap, yeah. which therefore creates a cycle of misinformation that is untrue. And so you're right, you give Mackenzie Hughes a doubt because I'm sure if he you know if he had time that week and sat down with Rory, Rory would explain that it's exactly not that. Right. And I was caught in almost caught in that trap. I was walking off the golf course trying to catch a plane, and the media's like, hey, we need to talk to you about this, and I had no intention you know, to come immediately off the golf course, answer a question I didn't know that could be paraphrased in an article that I didn't have all the information on. So I politely declined to answer on that because I didn't have all the information. So I would be speculating off of something that I don't know about. And I promise you, McKenzie Hughes is a smart guy. He, you know, that's just what he thought off of reading Twitter. And that's so unfair. Yeah. I, I texted him after that and just said, like, what, you know, when was this? And, and, you know, had you seen the, I, had you seen our report, which I believe has very correct information in it? And he hadn't yet. And uh, it was just kind of like a, yeah, it was, it's funny. To, it was really wild to see this cycle work in this way, where you know we're not necessarily always in the know, but this time around, like we had the information about what actually went down, and to watch the news cycle like get out of control really quickly was kind of scary. It was just like, oh, this is why a lot of people don't trust the media, right? And that <laughs> is the whole point of these the quote unquote secret meetings. Like, guys, just like we we're working together with the players and the tour and we don't want any false information out there. And it's that simple. Anything more than that is is taking a a spin on something that happened. And you know, I hate to say that even the people that were reporting about the meeting and what was going to be talked about the meeting report later that what they said was going to be talked in the meeting wasn't even talked about in the meeting and then that wasn't even talked about in the meeting. So it's just like sitting here and reading these things and it's just so disappointing because you want to be able to get it all in one place and all announced in a very clean manner. And that's exactly what Jay tried to do today in his press conference. And that's why the guys didn't really want to talk about it because they wanted to come from Jay's mouth in front of the public at our biggest event. Yeah, because you're not, uh, you know, you don't want him to look less powerful in this. If anything, a, a point I've made, I'm curious if you would agree with this. If anything, this is the the, the best uh, you know weapon Jay has had maybe in his whole ten, uh, tenure of like of actionable items because previously and, and Rory acknowledged this in the meeting and, and Jay kind of spoke to the you know um, unique nature of this meeting and that that just does not happen very often among PGA Tour players is like he hears 200 different opinions like individually from people he does not hear a consensus group opinion he might hear something different from Patrick Cantley that he would hear from Jordan Spieth that he would hear from you that he would hear from Billy Horschel that he would hear from William McGirt and like merging all that together to keep a membership happy is a, a near impossible task but if you get the top players to basically say hey here is what we agreed upon privately this is the actionable item look how fast that got turned around I mean this first of all a lot of what was in the meeting last week was about 2024 and I don't even think I don't even know if the players had an expectation for 2023. And sure enough, four more events get elevated in this short a time, which seems like one of the bigger action items out of today's news. I totally agree, and I think that people have I can't you know I don't really know how to 
Was that a question? Or no, I, 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 I just want to bounce a bunch of stuff off you. I want you to poke holes in it. I, I, I you know, come up with a lot of this stuff we do, and I want it makes a lot more sense coming from somebody that's involved in it. But I just, I, uh, yeah, I, I want to make sure we're on the right track here. I personally watching that now, you know, people can say that I'm a tour loyalist, and by all means, I am. But as a player, period. I don't care what you know, where your stance is. I don't understand, you know, I don't want to say I don't understand the negativity because that's not what we're talking about. It's like, this is so positive to be a player in this moment in time for all these things going on. And now you can say, well, this wouldn't happen if it, you know, wasn't for Liv. Well, I'm saying it wouldn't happen if all the top players didn't get on the same page and say, hey, guys, like, this is our tour. This is what we want. And we need to make sure that it happens. Well, that's the really the good way to do things. And I equate a top player as someone, you know, it's a, it's a probably too generalized of a of an argument, but someone who potentially makes more money off the course than they do on the course, because that means that your media rights are not. I hate that word. Marketability. Yeah, marketability, yeah. or you know, how much people, how many companies want to be a part of you. And your and what you do and your golf and your platform, et cetera. And the tour gives you the right to do that and doesn't take a dime from it. It's it's really kind of a it's the only place in sports where you can brand yourself and not give it to the person that you're using their platform for. Like that's huge, right? So a guy like me, I've never made more off the course than I have on. But so like I my, I'm looking at the PGA Tours platform is bigger than my platform. So I am thankful for the PGA Tour because I am using their platform and that is the majority of my income and not my own self. Where you can look at Tiger and it's like, well, he was making so much more off the course because he was, I don't want to say bigger than the tour, but he was the tour and that's why. And so you look back at these guys, you know, of course no one knows what really anyone makes on and off the course, but if you cross that threshold, in my personal opinion, like you're a top player and maybe the pip kind of recognizes that i don't know but that's just a very generalized simplistic way to look at who's hey, bringing value who's to the bringing tour. value to the tour because that's outside influence is telling you that you your platform is worth more than your golf potentially that's that means a lot and ricky fowler is the definition of that he has brought people to the game you know even from the all the way from the hats to the clothing to uh, Cobra, you know, to Puma, these, these companies way more than he has actually done on the golf course and has nothing against his golf. I mean, he was the top 10 player in the world for a while. That is more of like saying this guy created so much value that people thought that his marketability was equivalent, if not more than his golf. It's an entertainment product. And without bringing people bringing the entertainment, there is no dollars to play for. There's, it's just not the case. So all right, so one of the things that came out of today was a an increase in the pip from ten to twenty players, from fifty million to a hundred million. Uh, what is what is your overall stance view of the pip uh, in general, and and how you understand it? I think it goes back to what I what we just yeah. talked about is on the course, off the course, and the tour is simply saying like, you know, you make the biggest marketing impact to our tour and the biggest entertainment value to our tour and again we are entertainers like I don't like using a popularity contest but 
we are entertainers, period. That is, at the end of the day, what we are. Yes, we legacy, tradition, meritocracy, all that stuff is what drives our tour, but if we're not providing an entertainment value, none of that stuff exists, period. And I think the PIP is the PGA Tour's first way of acknowledging our marketability to the tour. And I don't necessarily have a problem with it at all, but it's a very easy thing to poke holes into and a very easy thing to to talk about. And I, you know, back to my point is, you know, the tour, I'm thankful the tour lets us use our platform and has almost zero restrictions on our marketability. We can make as much money as we want, put logos wherever we want and use their platform to make it and they don't take a cent. I don't think enough people talk about that. And I think the PIP program, in my personal view, is the tour simply aligning with that. Mm-hmm. Amplifying it, basically, exactly. in a way. Exactly. Yeah. It's a parallel to that. And I would, you know, I would be shocked to see, you know, it does, but it does include your performance. But so your performance is already compensated. Is, is already is compensated. Yeah. And your so is that it's, has everything to do with your marketability. If I'm a top 10 player in the world, I'm going to make more off the course than I am at 60th in the world. Yeah. Like, that's just how it works. I think it, in a way, though, can increase in a time where loyalty to the PGA Tour is very much in question. It can help serve as a mode of increasing that loyalty. So, say we're taking—I don't know what the total comp number is for the PGA Tour. Let's call it six hundred million dollars right now. If you are taking up a part of that pie, part of that six hundred million, putting aside a hundred million to say, "Hey, the guys that are influencing and driving the value the most." We're going to pay you out of these PGA Tour funds for that. In addition to what you're making off the course, this is PGA Tour money that is getting paid to you. You're getting this because you play on the PGA Tour. Seems like a a way to you know shore up. And I, I as I understand it, there you know the PIP, the, this new PIP is going to involve a. If you're getting PIP money, it involves a commitment to the next year's elevated schedule. If you qualified for it. Uh, it is, I don't know how enforceable all that is, but that's how I understand the PIP to work for the next year to say like, cause if you look at last year, five of the 10 guys that got PIP money left, they're gone. They went to live, right? There was no contingency of any kind in last year's PIP. And it seems like this year they've found a way to say like, Hey, let's use this money to also shore up your commitment to the PGA tour. That seems like a good thing to me. A hundred percent. It's, 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 I mean, look at it, any other business is like, we're, you only get your, it's like the vesting plan, right? Yeah. Which, how does that work for listeners that don't know? You have to play five consecutive years on the PGA Tour of 15 events per season to be vested in your retirement. It's it's like, this is more money than their retirement. So like, yeah, like, hey, we're going to, if you're, you're going to help us grow our, the PGA Tour brand, we're going to help you grow your brand, but we need to make sure that we're aligned to be able to do those things. There is, I have absolutely, I don't think anyone has a problem with that. If like, if you're going to take all this money from us then you need to make sure that you're committed to us. It's very, you know, I don't know how the corporate America works, but like stock compensation when you work for a company and they give you stock, et cetera. I mean, yeah, there's contingencies to those, right? Like there's there's rules that you, in order to receive this, you must do this. And I don't want people to think like, oh, like you're committing, you're having to play these four events. Like players are going to want to play them because of the purses and because of the like I make my schedule around the players and the majors if I'm in them. I don't just skip them. I don't have to play them, but I don't I don't choose to I choose to play the biggest ones. And that is 
a, a distinctive factor where like, yeah, if you, 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 there's, I'm sure you, there's out, there's, you know, you don't, you're not required. It's just saying it's, it's like a soft, soft handshake agreement. And that's kind like, of what the meeting goes back yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just think that that's, that is a better entertainment model. Yeah. Period. Yep. Do you think, and I, I, this here's what I think I'll say. I think the players in some capacity should own that it's taken this long for them to get in a room together to agree upon an approach going forward, right? It, the hand has been forced a little bit by Liv. I think it's impossible to ignore that at this point. And when the FedEx Cup money's flowing and everything's flowing, it's hard to push, you know, significant changes through to a model that is working, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what the other side of like, if I raise my hand and be like, you know what, the players got to own a little bit of this. Not all of this was Jay's job to have like come up with all of this. Is there any accuracy in that? I think Roy said it so well in his press conference that Phil wasn't necessarily wrong. He just did it the wrong way. And what does that mean? It means that if Phil had all these concerns, why don't him and Tiger get in a room and then him and Tiger invite Rory and, you know, at the time, you know, all these guys and say like, Hey guys, this, this feels like we need to maybe do something about this and let's work together to get this done. What's so wrong about that? Right. And you know, I've looked up to Phil for a long time and he's been great to me. And you know, he's obviously had, you know, a lot of controversy, but you know, he, I don't want to say he was right. I don't want to say he was wrong. <laughs> Nobody wants to say he was right. I, I, I want to say that imagine if we, you know, there's a lot of top players over there. Again, why are the majors the best? It's because they're all there. Well, if all those players came together and did it together on the PGA Tour and the majors, why, I mean, what, why is that, why is that model bad? Right. And that's what, what frustrates me a little bit is if it wasn't for Liv, this wouldn't happen. I, that's not necessarily true. It's more of like, hey, the tour had the ability to do this. The tour is clearly listening to the players. And I, you know, I'm speculating in the past, but if all the players had these concerns and all these things were possible. Imagine if they all got together in a room and then went to Jay and took it to him. And there are the owners of the tour and Jay says no, or the tour says no, then, then you have a problem. Correct. And I don't think that would have happened. I really don't like if, and, and people, and again, this is all speculative. So people say, well, it wouldn't have should have, you know, whatever. But if they were all aligned and they all, when we all, we, they, we, are all aligned and we have a proposal and it is for the better of the tour, then there's no reason tour wouldn't do it. That's what, that's, what's mind blowing to me is that people actually think the tour is saying, no, we want to screw you. Yeah. Like that, that's like, honestly, like the argument that they're saying. And I'm like, no, that I just don't, I just can't possibly believe that because if they do that, then they're the ones that are screwed. Right. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Pinehurst. Listen, the 2024 U.S. Open is not very far away. You have the opportunity. Pinehurst number two is one of the only U.S. Open golf courses that you can call up and get directly on. Not only that, of course, Pinehurst has a bunch of incredible offerings, including the brand new redesigned Pinehurst number four. There's also the number six course, which is home of the most recent, uh, the, the first ever U.S. Adaptive Open. That is just three of the nine championship golf courses you can experience at Pinehurst. 
And of course, there's the cradle, the 789-yard short course, the most fun 10 acres in golf. You also got the brewery. They got the re, uh, the newly redesigned North and South Bar. Pinehurst continues to evolve. It is much more than a bucket list destination. It's a place to go again and again. We go pretty much every year. I think maybe even two times a year now we've made it a, a I, uh, I guess a, an appointment to get up to Pioneers both in the spring and in the fall because we have such a blast up there. And uh, the team up there is just absolutely awesome. Go to Pinehurst.com right now to plan your visit. Now back to Keith Mitchell. Where does Monahan's job or the PGA Tour executive, you know, put his whole team kind of included in this? Where does his job start? Should this initiative have come from him? Should it have come from somewhere within the PGA Tour? Is that what you as a PGA Tour player think that the executives are being paid to do? Certain things like this, come up with something like this to to thwart off other threats or get this pushed through? Why does it take the players to get together to push it through? And is that unique to golf compared to other sports leagues? Well, to go to the very end of your question where it's unique to golf, is there are so many ways to to structure our sport because it is individual I mean, think about it. Barracuda's Stableford, WGC's match play. You have the playoffs that do all these points. Then you have 72 holes and you have you – know, it's, it's, there's so many different avenues that you can send the game of golf that you can get – it can be overcomplicated. It, you can have teams. You can not have teams. You can have 18 holes. You can have you – know, think about the – just think about the playoff formats alone in certain majors – and then tournaments, you know, it's like, oh, this is four-hole aggregate. This is sudden death. This is an 18-hole Monday, what the U.S. Open used to be. Remember, it used to be 36 holes. So there's unlimited creativity in the sport. And people don't understand that, like, when you have unlimited creativity and unlimited opportunity to do literally whatever you want in our sport, ideas can go any which direction. And it's very hard to decide what's best. The idea that came out was the best players need to play against each other regardless. That is the only important idea in my opinion. And I, I don't know how Jay says like, Hey guys, y'all all need to do this now. How enforceable that is. Yeah. Right. And then if those guys are independent contractors, they decide their own schedule. They do what they want to do. And they're like, well, now the tour is trying to control us. And tell us we have to play these tournaments. Like, we want to be able to play whenever we want to play. So, like, the players came to that agreement together and brought it to the tour. They're saying, hey, we want to play together. If the tour brought that to the players, it might look a little different. Yeah. And so that's very – got to look at that in a very, um, you know, careful way. Because imagine the tour executives brought, sat all the tour players down and was like, all right, guys, here's your schedule. You have to play these events. That wouldn't, that wouldn't you know, go over well. That wouldn't go over well. But if all the players go to the tour and say, hey, we all want to play together. We're the top players. We think that's the best entertainment model. The tour is going to be like, you're right. <laughs> yeah. And nope. and I, I think that's the, that's the line you have to draw is, yes, they work for us, but, you know, where where do we how do we meet and how do we you know make the best of that i mean their job is to grow the pga tours business as much as possible make as much money and give as much money to charity as possible so like i think it's so funny that it, it's negative that the tour has a bunch of reserves like that just means they they're doing the right things they're saving their money and they're using it for things exactly like this yeah i, I don't have an issue Let's go this way. I'm a I'm a lower tier guy, lower than you. I'm not 
in a position right now to be qualified for elevated events right now. I am in the meeting. I'm saying, hey, this this new model's bad for me. Like, uh, this is not good for me. Um, you know, I can't play in these events. You know, what about me? What about me? What about me? What would your response to that be? Uh, well, I, it's pretty easy for me to say because I'm perfectly that guy. Well, but again, you, you're going to be in the elevated events, I think, as of now. What's your world ranking? I don't know. Okay. I mean, you would be you'd be close. You'd be right at right. the edge. But you. But I'm talking about guys that are like, listen, uh, the 3M is like my, my tournament. Like, that's that's where I'm at right now. You know, I'm not close to being qualified for these events. This looks like a bad thing for me. On the surface, I, that's, that's how it's been communicated by some people out there. I'm, I'm wondering what your response to that would be. First, that was what they were playing in before this came out. Their schedule isn't changing. If you play well, and if you get into the you know top whatever they decide on the FedEx Cup and whatever in the world rankings, then you will be in those events, period. That is that simple. And that's what it was already. So that is not changing. And that's the whole point. So like being a – like people make their schedules – around the tournaments they enjoy in the bigger tournaments period okay now the top players are just saying hey we all want to make our schedule around the, we're all going to make our schedule around these bigger tournaments and throw a few more in yep so you know basically purses aren't going down in no, lower tier events I, yeah I, that's yes i didn't even think i had to say that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that that that's so obvious to me and i see and a, you some sentiment though of like if i'm a sponsor I, I forget who said this if i'm a sponsor you know of a of a lower tier event this is a dark day i'm like dude look at the field event look at the look at the ratings and the fields for those events this past year already and this past year is dead and gone. Like this, this the alternative to this is not the status quo. I'm screaming that from the mountaintops. The tour was never going to look again like it has looked this past year. It was always it had to have changed at this point. I, I think now I don't want to. I don't know the answer to this, and I don't. I don't. It was very unclear in the press conference, and we haven't uh, talked about it in the one. You know, the one time i was in the room for listeners sake to this we are recording this incredibly fresh off this yes. press conference neither of us have had really a chance to down, <laughs> download our thoughts i'm giving i'm giving you the benefit of the doubt with that but maverick mcneely is one of the smartest people that plays on the pga tour and if like there was an iq test he would probably be you know a pip guy <laughs> like i mean he is he is a, a, a very smart also brian Harmon came up to the same conclusion completely separately and it's like look why not rotate some of these elevated events to all of the different fields correct now i think that's been considered um again this is not talking about 23 we're talking about we have a year right to iron these things out and these are again this is it goes back to the idea point there's infinite ideas for this tour and the game of golf, and it's finding which ones potentially work the best for entertainment value, sponsors, players, etc. But how cool would it be if the elevated event was Pebble Beach? And when we say elevated events, we're just simply saying where all the top players decide to play. Yeah, that, that's that's all it is. And the reward for those players is more money. And I don't. I've always said like I don't necessarily think the more money translates to more entertainment. But there's an exchange here, right? Yeah, bigger purse going to the top guys and. And more top guys means more entertainment for me watching on TV. Right. So the more money, if they get the top guys there, it does in a roundabout in a way, way correct. provides more entertainment. It can. It can. Exactly. But the tour, the players now just say like, "All right, guys, I don't. We don't. We can't 
be you know picking and choosing for other reasons. We need to be there regardless. Yeah. And that's what is going to drive the entertainment value, which you can't disagree with. Right. That the the that's why the majors are. That's the whole point. The, that's why the majors are the best because they're all there. Anyway, back to the rotating events. How cool would it be that Pebble Beach is a elevated field? I mean, it's one of the greatest golf courses in the history of the game. And then you have, you know, I've had the ability to play with Larry the Cable Guy and Josh Allen. And, you know, Larry Fitzgerald and Ray Romano, all these guys. Like, can you imagine how an entertainment value that would bring? And then go to a place, um, I mean, it's it's infinite of all the other places. I mean, waste management and elevated event. Imagine the oh top, God. you know, 50 players coming down on 16, 17, and 18 in that atmosphere during a Super Bowl. Those are great entertainment things. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that is – the point that we're going to hammer home is the top players playing together wherever they want. It doesn't matter where. It does not matter where. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and a rotating schedule of those elevated events. I mean, of course, you keep, you know, L.A. probably, and you're going to keep Century as that, and you're going to keep the players. Obviously, these and are Memorial I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. And Memorial, but but to be able, I think they announced potentially four more, and then be able to rotate those four around. You're an opposite field event. Or not an opposite field. You're a non. I hate. I hate these. See, that's it's it's so convoluted. Like it, it, it's, it had to change. Yeah. If you're a if you're not one of the originally announced elevated purses, right? The three. Yeah. And you're like, well, this is unfair to me. What they're like? Well, you you look at your field the last five years. Okay. Imagine one of the last five years, you're going to get all the top fifty players. Right. Period. Versus what you had prior. I don't think any single one of them is going to be upset about that. Right. And, and I could be wrong. Yeah. But I don't see, if you look at the history of the last five years of certain tournaments and how many top 50 players they had, and then saying, you'll probably get the same because they're still, you know, these guys played because of a certain reason. They either like the golf course, they like the location, they like where it fit in their schedule. And those guys are probably going to stay exactly the same as the last five years. And then one of those five years, you're going to get all of them. That's a win for everybody. It sure seems that way. Um, that's where, yeah, it's hard to, uh, it's just hard to, it's hard to marry it all, right? It's hard to say, you know, I, I guess uh, we've, we've been pretty hard on WGCs in the past to say like that they don't necessarily provide the most value, but I, I think I'm hopeful for this because like I'm going to watch AT&T anyways, right? And so it makes more sense to have a aggregated, a better field for that event, like a, a way elevated field for that. Question for you. What's the field? What's the right field size? What is it? You know, and is there a cut in these elevated, elevated, elevated events or whatever, whatever tier we're calling them? You know, that's that's a that's probably the biggest um, thing the tour and the players need to iron out. It that is a big, big decision, and my my very easy, simple take that is. I wouldn't say informed to the highest level. I would say, you know, casually informed of. Gut instinct is. Yeah. Is that the tour and, excuse me, all the tours across the world agreed to the new world ranking system because they had third party people come in and assess it and figured this was the most fair model. Okay. That model is based off of the every player in the field, not just the top 10-ish. 
the previous model was it cut off around the top 100, I think, is where basically you got points for up to a certain ranking if you were added to the field. And if you're outside the top 100, you weren't adding any value to the field. So right. I don't know what the actual number was, but that's the concept. But now it's counting in some way every player in the field. Right. So the larger the field size, the more the world, moral rankings. world ranking points. So the difference is the smaller the field size, the more average points per player. So if you have 50-person field, the winner won't get as many world ranking points, but the guy in 40th or 50th will actually might get a point even no matter how he plays. So the World Golf Ranking Committee has presented the newest World Golf Ranking system three two weeks ago. It started, yeah, basically, yeah, beginning of the playoffs. It started, it started in Memphis. Yeah. yeah. And it is saying the larger the field size, the better, which was what the PGA Tour was. We had 144 of the best players in the world, and they're like, yeah, this is a lot harder than a 80-person field somewhere else in the world with yeah. only two guys. Right. And so that is where that model. So the lesser the field, the lesser the world ranking points. The argument on the cut and the no cut is John Rahm last week at BMW. Yeah. He played terrible the first two rounds and shot 65, 67. What place did he finish? Top 10, I think. Yeah. Top 10. Yeah. Right? And he would have missed the cut. Right. So you have John Rahm finishing the top 10 of a tournament. He's one of the you know top players. That's, I guess you would call it, more entertainment? I don't know. Is that more entertainment than having a cut? I don't know. And we need to look at that to the people that pay to watch our sport. I hate to say, like, hey, guys, I know you guys are top guys. You need to play together. No one disagrees with that. But this, you know, we're, we're dealing with world ranking points and we're dealing with entertainment value that is beyond your comfort level of a cut, no cut, field size, big field size. Because if you're the best players in the world, you're going to make that cut 70 to 80% of the time, period. You're going to still beat those guys 70, 80% of the time. It's just in the stats, in history. In, no. It is this how it works. So that's where I that's where I'm, I'm uncertain of what is right, what is wrong. You know, if if the field size is big in the elevated events, does that take away more players from the other events? Potentially, but you know, is that a better right? Is it better? Like, there's just so many things that, as you love to say, unpack here. <laughs> that I'm I'm too. You know, there's not a, there's not an easy right answer yeah. to this, no, and a lot of people feel strongly about this one way or the other. I don't even know necessarily where I net out on I'm that. I'm too I green think. in this. I'm too my my take is too green because well, I don't have enough of the. I don't even know if it's called facts, just right. information. I will say this: it seems like, based on the information we have, that for the first time in in since I've started doing this, the light bulb has gone off among top tour players. That the entertainment value of golf is lacking, right? It is the ratings are decline are not good. And Careful with that. And don't say it's lacking. They say it could be better. It's it's I, I I would give it. You can say that. I would venture to say it's lacking. I think the demographic is scary as to how old the golf fan is. It's always been that way, and that's part of the problem. So we're trying to get it better. That's not that's, that's not part like of the it's, problem. It's not gotten worse. It has gotten worse. It's gotten worse since COVID. The, the age demographic of the television viewer. I don't know about since COVID, but has not oh, the, trended the right direction. I do, that think I think that has okay. We but don't anyways, need to go yeah, I but see what you're saying. I, I'm getting to a point of listen. There is part of the part of what is resonated with guys is 
the information that, hey, when zero of the top 10 players in the world are in the field, this is what the TV ratings average. And when all 10 of you are here, this is what they average. And that's a stark difference. It's a very stark difference. So light, let's just, we're a hypothetical scenario. We're playing this out. Light bulb goes off. Golf needs to be more entertaining, right? Let's view it through this lens. Let's view our changes through the lens of golf needs to be more entertaining. View, going back to the cut thing, I would say, if we're viewing it through that, it's what sponsors want to pony up for. They don't want to send John Rahm home on a Friday. They don't, they don't want to. And golf fans, like, don't. Listen, if he's a million over par, and like, is it going to be interesting on the weekend? No, it's not. But at the same time, they there's... can show up on Sunday and still watch it. He could. He could. You could go watch John Rahm on the Sunday if you wanted to. And so from that view, it's like I would say no cut makes sense. Like I, I yeah. look, you can definitely argue like, all right, well, are we on the schism of entertainment versus competition? Are we trending too far in one direction? Back, I am willing to be talked into that as well. Maybe not all of the events need to be no cut. Maybe some are a hundred players with a cut. Maybe some are sixty without a cut. Maybe it's seventy without a cut. I don't know, but I think it is as long as the the um, the balance is there in terms of. The, understanding the competitive aspect of this i think or i'm sorry the entertainment aspect of it is important yes and that is 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 that is the difficult part yes is weighing you know from your that view you just said you are correct and then from the you know from the competitive standpoint which is a huge part of this too right it's 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 one of those things where there is so many things that go into what is the best product and we're just, you know we we've had this we've we've gone on the same product for so long that's like okay maybe the same product you know maybe it needs some tweaking and when you open the box of tweaking it's not a tweaking it feels like you're literally rebuilding an entire car from scratch and you're simply deciding a field size <laughs> it is insane the stakeholder there's so many like you and I talked about this in the pro am too like the stakeholder interest in golf like it's every every decision that that happens there's a counter effect to it right, right. And it's. I think I would argue that the prioritization of some of these counter effects has been too skewed towards the middle to lower tier guys in the past, right? If it's, you know, adding more and more events isn't necessarily better for the top guys, you know, um, a lot of different examples I could cite there. But basically to say like, hey, we can't all of a sudden say we don't want the fall series and it just goes away like that, right? Because FedEx signs up when they introduce the package they sign up for an enormous package full of tournaments that are of close to or equal value for all of them right so now that was a big selling point for fedex huge selling point and huge 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 money like fedex cup bonus money is is enormous right and and that's where you have to that's where it, it gets these these decisions that everyone has are these ideas that everyone has that are so surface level that it might sound good on the surface but you I love saying this, unpacking. You, you're, I can tell you're a listener. <laughs> you can unpack it. And then you see like, okay, that might have worked here, but what about the other seven things that didn't work? And that's like one of the things like, yeah, the tour needs to move faster, but they also are moving carefully. Like they yeah. they are trying to do that to make sure that it is not negatively affecting something more than it's positively affecting something. And that is the very simplest way of this whole process that you look at and that we can dive into just one simple topic in the world of golf about field size hmm. and we could sit here and talk for three hours about what's right and what's wrong <laughs> and then imagine running a tour right. about all this stuff about different formats and different this and different that it, it's 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 so much to think about that it's thank god we got jason gore on board <laughs> we can talk about that but i will say also on this front 
sympathize, empathize, not the right word, but I'm going to use it anyways, where I understand a teeny tiny bit of guys leaving for live is like looking at the changes they would like to have made and be like, oh, it's too complicated. Like that's, that's never going to happen. Right. That. Yes. It's so true. It's like, all I hate the guys are just like, all I want to do is just play golf and not worry about it. Like, fine. Great. But there's people that all they're doing is worrying about it for you. Yeah. And you need to be thankful for those people because if not, then you would not be able to play for the money you play for. And so when guys say to me, all I want to do is play golf and I'll let the rest take care of itself, they're simply saying, all I want to do is play golf and I want to, whatever pays me the most, I'll do. And that's probably why they went. And you're right. Like, you don't, if you don't ask the questions and see what's best for everyone and this and that, then yeah, it might be good for you right now. And it's very easy to make that decision as a human to say, this is what's best for me right now. But what does it entail five, 10, 15 years down the road for me, my future, and let alone, everyone else's future in the game of golf and the people that are going to come up in the game of golf later. No one can really know, have those answers, but if you're the guy that simply says, I just want to play golf and like, I don't really care. I just, and you know, I'm saying that's 50 to 60, 70% of the tour potentially Yeah, that that's, that's what the tour is trying to do is so that you just can do that. Hmm. What is the, the hiring of Jason Gore do? It gives people a people meaning players everybody people okay. people as in agents as in sponsors as in players coaches i mean his he is going to have a hard job <laughs> i mean he needs four cell phones because two are going to melt each day of how many people are going to call him because people a and when I mean A, I mean A1A, respect his opinion. That is the most important thing. They respected his opinion when he was on tour, on the Corn Ferry Tour. They res really respected his opinion after what he did at the USGA. And they have that same expectation for him at the tour. Now, that's a high bar for Jason. Like, there's, you know, like he is, he is, he has a very tough job and a very high bar because he's only, because he set his bar that high. But I truly believe that he can do that because when I have a problem and I can call Jason and talk to him about it, I know that he understands my problem a lot more than someone else in the executive office that hasn't been in my shoes. Mm -hmm. That is that is A1A simplistic respect, trust, you know, whatever you want to call it. That that means a lot to a player. He feels what you feel, or he felt what you you feel at the moment. That is the biggest thing. And he has been in the corporate world. He has had to relay those feelings and those concerns of a player to the people that make the decisions on the course and the tournaments, blah, blah, blah. And he's done a very, very, very good job at that. Hmm. If he can continue to do that at the PGA Tour, everyone wins. And that's going to take a lot of pressure off the guys in the executive office of the tour to actually do their job at hand and not try to make everyone feel good. Mm -hmm. That is a big step for the tour. Hmm. That's yeah. That's a that's a glowing glowing endorsement. It, I, it is, <laughs> which is kind of like a you know you look back at it like well yeah why aren't there more like former tour players working at the tour like that that way. is that's that's the biggest question yeah why why not well you know it, the tour I think had that same question that's why they hired Jason Gore yeah looking at other announcements uh, you know that came today. You know, we have the earnings assurance program. Fully exempt members are guaranteed a $500,000 league minimum 
Uh, and at the end of the season, the, the program will fund any gap between actual comprehensive earnings and the $500,000 minimum for each fully exempt member who participates in at least 15 events. And then rookies and other players earning their way back onto the PGA Tour will have the option to receive an upfront payment. What's your reaction to that? It's an optics play because it doesn't, like Jay said, it only costs like 2 to $3 million a year. Right. Like, now... It's an optics meaning, play, meaning for, like yeah. the amount of guys that have earnings that are less than five hundred thousand that you'll need to net up will net out to between two and three million dollars a year. Correct, and it's a huge financial play for the guys that it matters without costing the tour very much money. Yeah, so that's the beauty of it is like everyone. It's 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 a mental. You're like, freed up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, I'm not going to lose money this year. And it's not going to cost a tour much because the play fifteen was fine, but they paid they paid everybody. They're still kind of paying everybody in this one because if you don't make it, doesn't matter how you do, you're going to get that money. So they're doing they're achieving the same thing in a much more efficient, effective way. Period. Because it might actually I don't know how much the play fifteen cost them. It was only like fifteen million bucks, or something right? Like so that. they're saving thirteen million dollars and making a bigger impact. Yeah. Is play fifteen going away then? I I I, I don't know that. But maybe that's a question for a, a different day. But it, yeah, I don't I don't know. Okay, <laughs> but and, and I, I maybe I mean. should know. Yeah, I, I <laughs> maybe I should, but I don't. A lot's happening. A lot's changing yeah. very quickly. So th- the point is, like, they're spending. I don't know if it's going away. We need to put that in huge air quotes. Okay, but if noted it, for the record. yeah, but you know, a fi- a fifty thousand dollar check for a guy that's you know finishing in the top 125 is if you do the math it's it's, it's like a it's a, what's, a how much on how much, no, how much percent how much per, if like they're averaging like 1.3 1.2 million dollars what's what's 50 grand of that i'm not a, i mean well i mean so a hundred thousand would be 10 percent of a million so it'd be five percent it's like three percent yeah something three like percent yeah. okay so if you keep your job it's less than three percent yeah and it, the guys that keep going up and up it just the percentage goes down and down and down it doesn't make doesn't really change like they can spend that 15 million dollars in a much more effective way yeah. than changing the guys that keep their cards uh earnings by less than you know a three you know on average let's call it one and a half percent where the guys that are coming off the corn ferry tour that actually you know have been grinding their face off right on dollars that may or may not be there from sponsors or from people that they owe money back to that if you get on the tour hey guys no matter what you're making 500 and we're spending way less money doing that well and the fact that the rookie part getting that money up front is even seems bigger. to be really helpful and nice yes. and and seems to be very worthwhile and again these are advances on earnings yes. so it's not you know it's not in addition to earnings you're you're earning against it but it it uh it does seem to make sense and it it seemed like yeah the play 15 thing was I would, I, I, as I interpreted it, was like when that, that that came out when the PIP came out, and you know it was a way to satisfy the rest of the membership that wasn't getting PIP money to say, hey, there's something here's a little something for you, but it did not seem to be very consequential, it, and the, this seems a lot more consequential. So I think it would make sense if the if the play fifteen thing did go away. Next up, non-exempt members. So basically, the the previous category was fully exempt members are getting you know the guaranteed five hundred thousand dollar minimum. For non-exempt members, that's one twenty six to one fifty category and below. Uh, will have access to a new travel stipend program providing five thousand dollars for every miscut to assist with travel costs and other tournament related expenses. What are your thoughts on that? I think that is 
I don't want to say long overdue. I'm saying it's that's what the majors started to do recently. Yeah. And the tour is now starting to do it. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about this, but where we go now and the and the crowds that the tour brings and, you know, hotel prices go up and then yeah. caddy prices are going up and, you know, the airline prices are through the roof. I mean, it is expensive to play in a single tour event. And if you're a sponsor exemption or you're a Monday qualifier, like that is at least five grand right off the top just to participate. Oh, yeah. No, so I think it makes the sense. tour doesn't really charge you an entry fee, but they charge you. You have a lot of external costs that go there, and it's not for the guys that are eligible for the five hundred, because the tour is practically doing that for them already, if not more than that. Because if you play twenty events a year times five, like you know, they're they're giving you more than that. These are for the people that are not exempt on tour, that have either earned a sponsor exemption, got in off a of past champion status. Um, you know, Monday qualified, that is, I think that takes a lot of weight, stress, whatever you want to call it, just to the point where like, look, you know, I earned this right into the tour and even sponsor exemptions in a way earn the right, a roundabout way. You know, you can obviously debate that, but the point is like, you're playing in a PGA Tour event, you're playing in the major leagues, you are not going to lose money this this week. And then the, and the other guys... On the five hundred thousand, aren't going to move lose money this week. So now it's pretty much the tour's like just risen the floor, and it hasn't cost them very much at all, which is huge to me. Like they found it took them this long to find very innovative ways to raise the floor for all the PGA Tour players and not cost them that much money. That is, like, I mean, applaud to the people there. That's that's a a a very strong, balanced way to do it. Editor's note here, uh, yes, the earning assurance program uh, will replace the Play 15 program, as does the travel stipend program. This one, starting in 2021-22, qualifying for the season-end tour championship will provide a two-year PGA Tour exemption. This is not in addition to a winner's exemption, but would impact a player who doesn't have any additional status in the second year following his qualification for the tour championship. How many guys would do you anticipate this, you know, either historically, how how many guys would this have impacted? How many guys do you see it impacting going forward? Seems like kind of a big deal, but it doesn't seem like it also would affect that many guys. It's a big deal for the players themselves. It's not a big deal in the actuality of the exemption because I think it's only happened one 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 player in the history has lost his card after being in the tour championship. So it it I think it's about six or seven guys. On average, um, in historical speaking, you know, take COVID in 2021 out when there was like the wrap, double wraparound and all that stuff. It's on average like six to eight guys a year make the tour championship that don't win. More than that amount of people win on the PGA Tour and don't make the tour championship. So by no means is this devaluing a win. And that is the biggest thing to me is like, you know, there's guys that have won – on tour, earned a two-year exemption, let alone not make the tour championship, not make the BMW, but not even make the 125 playoffs. Okay, so if only one guy in history has ever lost his card after making the tour championship, and more than that, guys, like infinity more guys have not made it to the tour championship and winning get a two-year exemption, it is applauding to that those guys that made the tour championship get a two-year exemption. It, they won't need it. It won't matter. It only affected one person, but that's, you know, that is the difference. And then the Maui thing is huge 
Well, just going to say to that is, if you make the tour championship without having won, you've had an, a very good season, a very consistent season, yes. right? You've played a lot of really good golf, and I, I just think that that's... Or you've played great in the playoffs, which is the yeah. biggest, strongest fields of the year. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're, you're saying to turn over now, the, the, if you make the tour championship, you qualify for the, the tournament of champions. They may need to rename that one, I believe, but that seems like a, a decently big deal for expanding that field. It's good for the what we talked about earlier with the world ranking models. Yeah, when you yep. get six to eight more guys that have played that good all year, the world ranking is very high, very high, and that will only make the world ranking field. Uh, I guess the points awarded yep. in the field cool. higher. Yep. Justin Thomas said this on the pod, and we you know we posted like a reel of it on Instagram, and like is still in the it is still like in the algorithm driving thousands of comments of like people not agreeing with I would uh, I would define it as understanding when he says like they're not suing the tour they're suing me like in a member yeah. run organization they are suing you guys 100%. directly you're not yes. named in the lawsuit technically yes but like that is the PGA tour is made up of its members like that's yes. what's what the suing is and I really struggle with the concept of in especially in this play space of millions and millions of dollars of like suing my buddies like if i left the tour the pga tour and again i'm saying i not as a tour member but like i just can't picture like leaving and like s attempting to screw over my buddies that i you know it's not they, like those guys don't see that they don't see it that way that's the difference those guys that live don't feel like they're doing that way we at the tour feel like they're doing that and they're two different views of thought but how can they not see it that way Buddy, I don't know the answer, okay? <laughs> but, like, they look at us, like, how can we not see it their way? And we look at them as how, you know, they don't see it our way. So, like, we can sit here on our side of the fence and say they're suing me, they're suing our buddies. They they don't see that. They say they're suing the tour for corruption and they're suing the tour for, you know, mistreatment. They're suing the tour for, you know, unfairness. And that they think that they're doing us a favor for that. I, I really like, I'm serious. No, yeah. Which, like, but if you keep pulling the string and, like, this should take like 30 seconds to explain to them is like, if you can play anywhere at any time, the value overall of the PGA Tour goes way down. Like, all of this unity getting back together and playing all these events together to drive the marketing value is what's going to drive the, the value of the PGA Tour up. Anyone that can go anywhere and, and pick off little events here and there and play any, anywhere all over the world is going to greatly decrease the value of the, the marketing ability of the PGA Tour. Sponsors aren't signing up for that if, they, if you know, blah, blah, blah is playing five events a year on that tour. Right. And they want to just play the big ones. They don't right. want to play those. So they, they would say that we're actually helping tour because you get uh, you know, Bryson, Dustin, Phil, and all these guys to play the big tournaments. And they think that's a positive. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm serious. Yeah. So like, I can look at it personally and be very upset. I can be very mad and I can bash them all I want. Or I look at them in their shoes and try to somehow fathom what they see and understand their point of view. Now, again, I disagree with it, but I'm telling you is like it is. They wouldn't do it if they felt that way. Right. Like they are. They are suing the tour out of some information that they have that they have been unfairly treated and they have been unfairly compensated and is full of corruption. And so they honestly think that they're doing the right thing. Yep. They do. And that is that is the miscommunication because we can sit here and we can say they're wrong. They can sit there and they say they're and you know, they say we're wrong. And you just you have this constant 
we're right, you're wrong, we're right, you're wrong argument. And I, I don't think we're ever going to resolve that. But I'm just telling you from their point of view, that's as that's how they see that. Hmm. Do you get a sense either with these what has happened in the last couple of weeks or just based on what you you know? Uh, I mean, we know we know a few of the names are going to leave here after the tour championship, but do you get a sense that the momentum is screeching to a halt, slowing to slowing down as far as the uh, the floodgates of people leaving the PGA Tour? I I will always resort to what Brooks said: <laughs> is they will if it if it's starting to slow down their momentum, they'll just bring more money back. And that's what they've done every single time. Hmm. So instilled, until that mentality that they have stops, we will fight this battle forever. Hmm. Uh, seriously. Oh, God. <laughs> like the tour can announce forever. these. These tours can announce these things today. And everyone's like, yeah, we got some momentum. And then tomorrow, the other tour can say, we're going to announce a hundred, or we're going to announce a two hundred million dollar popularity contest at the Live Tour. Now, the Pit <laughs> Program is not a popularity contest. That was what they would call it, right? In negatively affected tour. Sure. So I was putting words in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. their mouth. Propaganda, uh, right? Yeah. That's what they, they could say. So then what? Then then they have all this momentum, and the more guys go over there. So yeah, this this battle of the tour momentum, live momentum. It's just all about when are they going to stop investing more money than they already are hmm. that is when this battle stops because it's very clear that uh you know the tour does not want to have negotiations with these guys very no, clear it's way past that right yeah. and and w- we are in nfl money territory right now <laughs> the pga tour is. pga tour is yeah. and the live tour both yeah like if you start comparing contracts in the nfl and the pga tour right now live contracts and these pit program fedex cup bonuses and then and then they're off the course money, we're getting way in the stratosphere. And eventually we're going to run out of air. Hmm. One of the two of us are going to run out of air. <laughs> okay? And it's whoever's going to run out first. I don't like that for the PGA Tour. I don't either. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. And you know it's true. But I don't think that if we get that high, it doesn't matter who wins that battle. That The person that survives is actually going to be the one that falls. Because you cannot recoup that amount of sponsor money with paying that much money yep. on either model. Right. Because you look at how big the NFL is and the NBA and the MLB and their contracts versus our contracts and, and the total revenue dollars going into it. We're starting to eclipse that. So if the tour keeps trying to outrace them and then we start trying to borrow money and doing this and that, it doesn't matter that we win that battle. We will lose eventually the lose the sponsor value. And if we keep driving them up to where they keep having to do this money, they might be able to afford it, but if they don't get the sponsor values, then well, yeah. you know they're that's where the irrational actor stuff comes in, though. Of like the sponsor values to them aren't this, like they're the value of that league is is different to the the investment fund than it's the immediate returns aren't required, right? Aren't necessary. But, that's but, what's scary, right? But it's about the arms race. Like you, you're right. going to lose that arms race. You will, and the tour knows that. But like eventually, like when when do we hit? The ceiling. The ceiling. You know, when do we hit space where there's no gravity, yeah. no oxygen, and we're all just floating around? And Icarito! No one, like, you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. I, I guess I, where I was coming from on that was all the players getting in a room together, looking at each other in the eye and, and like affirming their commitment to it. Look, I know blood packs don't exist, and this is a, you know, this has happened several times over the last several months of guys saying they're committed and then leaving. But this one felt 
like a little bit like drawing a line in the sand here. I think like it'd be pr- really, really like what Brooks did was super duplicitous. It'd be really duplicitous to be a part of the changes, get the changes put into policy, and then also go leave. That to me seems like to you and your feelings, but not to necessarily. You don't feel, but well, you wouldn't feel that way. I I feel the okay. same way you feel. But we're not talking about your and I's feelings. We're talking about the golf world as a whole. Okay, you're right. Sitting in that meeting, it sounds great, and they're all excited. Hoorah. But if someone walks in there and say, hey, man, you know, your number was 50. It's 250, pal. Like, I don't care. Like, I, you and I might still say no. I know a lot of people would still say no. They would say no to a billion. Ti- if Tiger says no to 800, I'm saying no to 800. That's my rule. That guy made more money for me than I could make for myself in a way. Okay, now, not directly, but like, what he did for the tour and his purses and the sponsorship values and the growth of the game is so much more than anything I could ever do that, that, you know, if he's turning down that and he thinks it's that bad of an idea, I think it is too. Now we're not going to unpack that, but that's my point is to some guys, they don't feel that way. They don't care. They don't think that way. They just think about how it affects them in this moment in time. And there's people in that room that if their number was 50 or their number was 75, their number was 100, and it goes to 250 or 300, they really don't give a shit what will happen in that meeting. Yeah, it's fair. I, I My counter to that was going to be, and now I don't want to say it, was going to be like, if you haven't gone yet, then you probably are not likely to go at this point. But to your point, you're saying the, if the number goes 4X, then it's a different decision. That's exactly yeah. what Brooks said. And he was the only person that was right. He's like, do you think this lost some momentum? Yeah, it's lost some momentum, but they'll just wait until they meet somebody's number, then people will go anyway. And people, there's people that have numbers and there's people that don't have numbers. That's not what we're talking about. It's yeah. the talking about they have, they can go as long as they want. They can, you know, they can hit the ceiling. They, they don't have as a ceiling as the tour has. And then, you know, if it, it's up to them, that's out of our control. I do think, though, there is also something, and I hate to be this, uh, you know, uh, what, I don't know what the word is about it, fairy, almost fairy tale like. But I, I, at a certain point, Liv is buying your professional golf career. Like you're, bu- you're not going to exist in the same profession. They don't think that. The players that go don't think that. Okay. You think that. They I, don't think that. I can see like but I, I, I think the guys that are sticking around for the PGA tour, they know they could make more money elsewhere. There is some value to their professional golf competitive aspirations that is keeping them there. Now you could still get priced out of that eventually, but it's the money's not equal. Yeah, like a lot of these dudes could make more money over at Live, but they're at the PGA tour for a reason, right? And I think that competitive golf aspect is a factor in that to, to varying degrees for those top players. So yeah, there's there's players that feel that way, and that's why they're still on tour. Yes, the players that leave, they don't believe that. They believe that they're They're going to they're continue to to, you know to have great tournaments and you know hopefully play the majors and be able to play the tour, whatever. Like they they don't think that way. So like yes, you and I think that way, but the guys that go don't. So like we're we're talking about two completely different things here. Well, but I would say like Rom, what Rom said in the press conference at the U.S. Open, and what Max has said about like, look, I've dreamed about this, 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 and this, and that's like what my competitive aspirations yeah, are. That's guys, not and that's why sale. they're on the tour, right? That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying though. Like that's that's the, I'm saying like the dudes that have stayed this long to this I point. See. So you think you think we've passed that threshold? I'm theorizing that you know, You're hoping a I'm, fairy tale that it's we've a factor. Passed, the, yes. the dudes that have stayed, whatever their decision matrix, there is, is no number for the guys that are still left. It is. I'm not saying there's no number. I'm saying that in the decision matrix, the dudes that are, that are left, their competitive golf aspirations are higher than the dudes that have left. That would be my theory. Like there's something holding you to 
wanting to stay in that ecosystem. And if you look at the list of top players, it's not comparable. Like the PGA Tour has the most talent by far. Like Patrick Reed wanting a live versus PGA Tour cup of some kind. You don't want that smoke. Like you do not want it. Like it's not the same at the top. Not even close. Uh, well, yeah. And the, he, he's like, he might be looking at it from an entertainment value. But well, yeah. like, now we're back at <laughs> Competitive versus entertainment. What is the driving now factor? we're back right? at square one. So, but I understand what you're saying and I understand that that's your hope is that the guys that are still here have more, have bigger reasons to stay than the amount of the money that they could make. Now, I, I can personally say that's true for me, and yeah. you know we could say that potentially for Max. I don't want to speak for really yeah. anyone else, but you know if there are guys left that they just haven't hit their number yet, yeah. then they could still go. Still can, one hundred percent. And and that's that's the that's what you have to put into context here is that no matter what the tour says or does, if they eventually hit a quote unquote number, then that guy is gone, and yeah. they will leave. Under the assumption, you know, I guess under the 2024 assumption that they might be able to continue to do competitively do both. And you also have to remember that if those guys want to go to 72 whole tournaments and cuts, they can do it tomorrow. They may have to change the name of the, of the tour, but yeah, they. But they that could. you know, you know, <laughs> know, so it's like we we're fighting a a battle that goes that can morph into something completely different the next day. Yeah. So like we poke holes in this, and then. And they, they say, can they can plug things. them and then yeah. and then go somewhere else. So, you know, it, it's as much as I I think that this battle can no matter what we say on the surface level, this battle will continue until we get in the stratosphere of the tour has stretched every inch of the imagination in terms of dollar values. The sponsors are picking up as much as they can and as much as they're willing to do in their budget, in their operating marketing budget, advertising budget, that we're, we're, we've hit the ceiling. And these guys go past that ceiling, okay? If that's the case, then where, then, then, yeah, what happens? Then what happens, yeah. right? It, it's long ways to go. Long ways, ways to go because we're, we're, we're going to lose the money battle no matter what. It's just if we lose the end game of, recouping by sponsors because like it might take them 30 years to recoup the sponsors if they bankrupt the tour but if they're willing to stay in it for 30 years <laughs> what happens well i'd also say like back to what we talked about earlier with uh you know basically what i was trying to get at with if i'm a lower tier tour player what why, what am i liking about this is like the alternative to this like the top guys getting together and proposing this and coming up with a new plan the alternative is not again falling back on like okay well we'll just do it how we always did it the alternative is like okay we're going to go find another place to play like what we want to do is not possible on this tour we're going to find another place to play i don't know if that's live i don't know if that's start their own tour and i'm not saying that they're threatening this in some way i'm saying for those guys if i'm a part of that decision and i we all agreed this is what we want and we're the ones bringing the value and the tour won't do that, why the hell would you stay? Like, I, I, I would defend the, any decision to break away after that. Yes, that is, that is a huge part of it. And, it. and like we said earlier, the lower-tier guys are playing they, – they, they're simply officially acknowledging that some events are more important than the others. Which we've all known for quite some time. We all have known, but the tour has never, never said that verbatim they might have said it in like a 10 percent raise in fedex cut points or an elevated event you know like a little you know there's a 10 there's two million dollars more in purses like they've tried to like they've tried to 
do it. They the tours tried to do it for a while without officially saying it, and the players had to say it to themselves and go to the tour and say, "You need to officially say this because it's better for entertainment." Yeah, like the tour was trying to make their sponsors happy, which you can't blame them. Got to do, okay. But they were, I think, the players realized that they were sacrificing some entertainment value by trying to make the spo- all of the sponsors happy. Yep, and they're fit and they're just officially pointing it out now. Yep, instead of silently pointing it out, they're officially pointing it out now. And again, that doesn't change the lower tier guys. It's actually better because if they do play well, they get in the huge events. And if they play exactly how they've been playing, their purse size is still exactly the same, if not more. Right. So, win win. Yes, I, then, I agree. I and listen, I I think it's still up for grabs in terms of. I mean, this is a totally different conversation. Like the entertainment aspect of the television product has to change for all of this to work. Right. And, and, and the biggest thing that I think moving forward, the two biggest things moving forward that are un, this is a very, I want to make this very clear. This is an undetermined, you know, th- th- what we're about to talk about is n- has not been decided on and it's field size and field size. You look at limited field versus full field versus the cut and versus world ranking points on either structure and the other is FedEx cups for the FedEx cup points for those tournaments because if you look at you know when in RSM or when in 3M or when in Detroit you know whatever you look at all these tournaments back and forth and you look at the how many world ranking points you're rewarded and it's anywhere from like 24 to like 40 ish and then you look at the Scottish Open and it was almost 80 so the world ranking is officially telling you it's two to three times harder to win the Scottish Open but the FedEx Cup points are telling you it's exactly the same. Right. Now, that was simply to make all the sponsors think that they're on equal playing ground, mm-hmm. which I don't disagree with. However... In peacetime. It, yeah. And now, when the players realize that the best product is when we're all playing against each other, the FedEx Cup points elevated, the purses elevated, will actually be an incentive for those guys to go there and then all play together without having to get into a room. The tour thought about that by raising the purse at, you know, Bay Hill, twelve million, Memorial, mm-hmm. you know, ten and five fifty. Like, hey man, we're gonna like hopefully this helps get you all there without announcing it to the world. Now they're just saying, Hey, we all want you here, players are gonna be here, FedEx points might be higher, purses definitely will be higher, and we'll figure out the field size according to world ranking and best entertainment product, period. That is the best the I think it's where we started and it could be where we finished, depending on if you have anything else to get off your chest. <laughs> Let's we we got we got a lot of cool golf stuff that we could talk about outside of you know what's on TV because people are getting so overwhelmed. I I have to I have to I have to say this and maybe you can put this on the little front of like when you tweet and like yeah. the little Justin thing is that even people like me are getting a lot of their golf news off of Twitter and that's coming from somebody you know again I've only been in one pack me so don't hold that against me you know are getting a lot of their golf news off of Twitter from your agent. You know, trying to get in touch with the player relations guys, and it's and it's a dangerous, dangerous cycle, and it it is something that the whole, we go back to the, the you know originally the point of the secrecy of the meeting was so that didn't happen. Period. They wanted to come from Jay's mouth on national television, so it was very cut and dry and clear. You know, that is something that in this whole process has been has driven a I don't want to say driven a wedge into players, but it's made some players be very curious of the tours quote-unquote transparency you know and it's because of all the media and how many people are covering it and talking about it because it's such a big story this is not a complaint that everybody's talking about it. it is true like we should it is the biggest story in the game period and i think 
part of the reason Tour hired Jason Gore is to curb some of that on the player standpoint. They have someone on the call that they trust that has been in their shoes that can understand their situation and explain it in a player tour, as Jason calls it, in tour in tour language. Yeah. So that I don't feel like I'm finding all my information from Golf Digest, you know, Golf Channel, Knowing Up, you know, all these people. That, and there's nothing wrong with that, but but a lot of times the stories might vary and I might get confused and I might make a slip up like McKenzie Hughes, which is un, is, is just a, a green take. Like he's just, he just doesn't know all the information. And that's the problem. Yeah. If the players that are own this tour are finding all the information about our tour from more sources than the tour, that's not necessarily the tour's fault. It's just the, the math, how big and massive and gigantic the situation is period yeah and that is the whole thing is like in this process you learn you, you know you try to filter out what's right and wrong you want to filter out what's beneficial for you and you want to hate what's not beneficial for you and then you want to point it out and you tweet it and then somebody says this and somebody says that i mean you know there's tour players who are tweeting stuff that you read and you're like is that true or is that not true well, they're a tour player so it must be true but it's not true right you know it's like yeah it's amazing. Well, in general, people are are way too comfortable having an opinion on something that they don't have even remotely all the facts on. I know. Like you could be, oh, this just sounds like a WGC retread. I hate it. Well, it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. You might hate this. Like I might hate this for all for all I know. But like again, think of what, what's the alternative? There is not an alternative here that's like simple, easy, that makes sense. Simple, easy is the biggest term. It is everything is so huge. Yes. We are dealing professional golfers who own this tour are dealing with decisions and ideas and things that are so huge that we've never had to deal with before. It's and we're the ones supposedly taking control you know, we're the ones supposedly in control. So again, that's it's the magnitude of the situation is huge. And at the end of the day, we can talk about all these different things and all these conspiracies and this and that. And somebody said this and that person, if it wasn't for this, it wouldn't be for that. At the end of the day, what's come out of this last meeting and what Jay has said is the top players, A, want to play against each other and B, need to play against each other because it's better entertainment product. That is it. Yep. We don't need to break it down any more than that. And then everything after that is secondary to that. Yes. Boats well, not only that, the all boats will rise in, in this in yes. a, if it's executed properly, which yes. now it's in the tour's hands. Like it is your job to execute on this. Yes. Like it is not the player's job to come up with every single detail no. of all of this qualification criteria. It's our job to shoot the lowest score. Exactly. And so now it gets into that ecosystem and it what has gotten the tour into this problem from the from the get go is like trying to prioritize the interests of and I'm not going to do everyone. It. And well, insert sponsor here. Well, what about this event? They kind of get screwed there. It's like you're thinking about it all backwards. You're thinking about it all backwards. Like whoever is sponsoring a big They're event, not, backwards is a strong word. They're thinking about it for everyone's sake, and unfortunately, everyone's sake isn't the best stake in a time like this. But I mean backwards in terms of if you let's just pick. I'm not going to say a name of pick the bottom sponsor on the PGA Tour. Yeah. And like say, all right, you're not going to deliver enough value to them. Like no, think about this. Think about the top sponsor. You're not delivering enough value to them. The one that's providing the bigger paycheck and signing up for the bigger event, yeah. you're not providing enough value for them. Think of they it from that view. Everyone yeah. equally. Yeah. Okay. Everyone. So they're not they're not choosing a bottom over a top. They're right. trying to put them all on the same level, which has spread everything too thin. Too thin. And now they're trying to make it a, a little bit more solid, officially, like 
officially acknowledging that they need to make it more solid in certain places. And again, back to what Mav and Harmon and a lot of people have talked about, and they even sort of vaguely mentioned in the press conference. Again, this is not determined yet, but how neat would it be if the other ones rotated and then those sponsors that we talked about that they were trying to please, actually they please more yep. while still pleasing the better entertainment product. Like this, this could be really cool. Hmm. I think this is incredibly informative, helpful, and I, I want to know if is there anything else like either ourselves, media in general, anything the public you think are getting wrong about it, don't understand about this that we haven't talked about to this point, or just any considerations that are like, hey, what you got to understand about this, like. I understand, you know, what was super helpful, you know, it's super helpful to have people involved that have been involved with the pack or that are on the board in that meeting to say like, hey, here's what we can do. Here's, you know, blah, 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 how that process has worked. I don't know if that's a, it's a convoluted way of asking it. But. Yeah. I mean, if you're asking what, if you're, the simple question is, if you're asking what the media can do better, is that, is that. And, or like, yeah, basically, not, yeah. What are people missing? Okay. People in general. Not both, with the media, media, yeah. both media okay. and people. It might be two separate answers. You know, I would say that um, in, a, in a, you know, it's hard, you know, it's really hard to say that in a short one sure. sentence. But a couple things that come out is, you know, again, we're all on the PGA Tour because we were really good at golf. Not because we made these creative, intuitive advancements to a global corporation and how that it, it should be run. We yeah. we. It's not your job. It's not our job. Our job is to make the low score. But at the same time, all those same people want to say, it's my tour, and we make the decisions. So, like, that's that's a careful line even us players need to walk. Because, like, we can talk to everybody we want and f- try to understand all the information. And then if it goes back, to all the weight goes back on us, and then, you know, we try to make these calls, and they're not the right calls, and we're not necessarily educated to make those calls – is a tough line. Yeah. Okay, so that's coming from us, which is why I think Jason Gore is a great hire because he can help that transition. Yeah. He's been in the corporate world and he's been in our world. He's done great at both, and so hopefully he can do great at the tour. I believe in him personally that that could that could help that, right? You know, the other thing is is that you know, we talked about this too. And again, coming from a tour player, like podcasts are fantastic for us because we can get our whole point across and it's not paraphrased. That is a big thing because I think McKenzie Hughes might have been paraphrasing that that article, right? He, you know, I've been paraphrasing articles before that take out a lot of very important things that we're trying to come across, but that's just how media works. You want an instant one quote, read it on Twitter, go to the next one, and we got to be really careful with taking that as taking that as gospel, as saying yep. this is the most important thing. And Colt Nost was the perfect person to say, you know, welcome, Jack. I'm Ryder Cup captain, and yeah. then it went off. <laughs> Right, which was extremely believable. I, I will put that on him. Right, <laughs> but the, you know, and he said, if it's on Twitter, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Again, we're in such a you know the magnitude of this situation is so big that any one little tweet can change somebody's point of view so much, and people anchor around the first thing they hear. Yes, they and, there's, it's and crazy. you hear all these talking points from both sides of the argument, and this and that, and like they're, again, they're just talking points that are one sentence that don't scratch everything. Yep. And you and I could sit here for another seven hours and still not even get close <laughs> exactly to going on with it. We're t- I'm sitting here talking about a 501c corporation. <laughs> are you kidding me? I went to business school and I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I started a foundation on a 501c3 and I barely know what that means. And I'm supposed to sit here as a player owner and say, "This is my tour." I own the tour. Y'all are supposed to do what I say, but I don't even know what a 501c6 means, so do this. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. To your, to your point, too, of, you know, uh, 
individual nature of what has, you know, all professional golf has always been was had a conversation, you know, I might have even said this to you, like your, your golf, like starting from scratch here, your golf is worth zero to the world without a competitive golf landscape. You could be the best golfer in the world and no one would ever know it. You, you can't market that in any way unless you can show that you can beat other players, right? So that's an extreme example, but that's to say like PGA Tour and tours around the world are where value is derived for your ability to play golf for money. Your ability to beat other players is what makes all that work. And how do you guys as tour players balance the incredible individual nature that comes with golf, the selfishness selfishness that's required to be an individual competitor in golf with how do you as a group work together to provide the most value overall as a tour seems to be one of the big turning points of this whole thing. And it feels like things are shifting on that front specifically. And that feels pretty momentous as a golf fan. Uh, yes, and it is huge and it's fantastic. And that only thing that that made me think about was imagine if we had Mo Norman on the PGA Tour full-time back in the day. Talk about the best golfer in the world that might have, you know, yeah, that, yeah. like that guy is a living legend in the golf, super clicky golf world. Yeah. But like the average golf fan doesn't know him anymore. Imagine if he played in the majors and on the PGA Tour and did all these things. Now, you know, the other reasons why he didn't, but like that's the perfect, it's, it's not a far-fetched example because it's happened in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, he he could have been a Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer, and we would have been talking about him as he was like the most marketable, greatest guy ever. And because in a lot of people's eyes, he was potentially the best ball striker to ever hold a club in his hands. So to your point, that is exactly what we need to do. Because if all the players play in the best place in the world, they're showcasing each other, they're competing against each other, and the world sees it. And they can they can a pick a pick a player that they enjoy. They can root for a player. Sponsors can you know compensate them for that on their hats and their shirts and get value from it just across the board. Mo Norman, though, like, let's go. I know. I need to do a deep dive on him. That's that's on my list for Q4. We're going but, but to do that. But that comment made yeah. me think about that because he was a perfect example that if he played in all the majors and all the tour, people would really know how great he was. Yeah. And they didn't yeah. because he didn't. Right. So it's it's that's a perfect example. Hmm. All right, you said you didn't want to go two hours. We're an hour and a half. Is there? Oh, we got else? thirty minutes. <laughs> you said you didn't want to go. Okay, twenty nine thirty. Anything else you're burning? Be, be fair that I said I, you know, I had a, a a skewed misinterpretation of entertainment value of why I said two hours. Yeah, you said people don't listen to two hour podcasts, and I was wrong. Yeah. So if I had come on your podcast, we're only going to do thirty minutes, so we make sure everybody hears it. Yeah, you know, that's like what I could tweet on Twitter, and then people anchor to that, and it's completely wrong. Yeah. So you you cleared that up so i'm happy to go as long as we need to go well i mean yeah i don't it's uh i'm not it, a podcast expert well I, listen i'm not either but uh no it's it, i don't know it's it, we, we've been trending longer and longer with these things and we get a lot of messages from people like yeah hey, just keep going keep going i got commute time but uh i that i didn't really even set an agenda for this meeting i'm not gonna lie i had a couple questions listed in here and uh and we covered we really covered them all but i figured it was just going to be a flowing conversation and reaction to everything but it's like i don't know how to say it it's like i feel like i'm kind of rooting i feel like i've i've i'm rooting for the pga tour in this which is ironic considering you know where where our uh you know our allegiances have lied over the years and how we've struggled a lot with the entertainment value but i guess i just see uh now some hope for it and um i don't know i don't know if that's i think that's a a good place to wrap unless you have anything else that you're you're dying to get out no i mean i've always felt that way though like I've always rooted for the tour. I've always rooted for the PGA Tour for a multitude of reasons, and so I, I feel like I now 
can root for the tour as a player, as a, a you know, someone that that the players are realizing they have more power now. So you feel like you can root, you know, you actually can have a say and like the tour listens and then Jason Gore really listens. And then all these things happen. It's just, it feels comforting as a tour member. And I would challenge every tour member that doesn't have that same sort of feeling to call not only Jason Gore, but the other guys. And, you know, of course the guys on the other side of the, of the fence say that, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, yeah. we're doing you guys a favor and it's it's a, you know, these guys are taking advantage of you, blah, blah, blah. Like, fine. I've tried to get as much, like Roy said, you know, uninformed decision. I've tried to get as much information as I can through that. Now, you know, I'm, again, I'm getting it from the tour. So, of course, you know, you could say, well, it's tour bias or I played with Jay in the AT&T twice. So, like, of course, your boys, you know, like what? I don't care. You have the right to choose what you want to do and what you want to root for. I root for the Georgia Bulldogs because I went to Georgia. <laughs> I root for the PGA Tour because I'm on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Right? It's that simple. It's also a big takeaway for me in all this is you guys are lucky that uh, Rory is at the exact phase of his career that he's at now. A younger Rory might not have taken as much of a leadership role. Do you not remember the time he says, I'm not trying to grow the game, I'm trying to win championships? Yeah. That I mean, come on, dude. Talk about a 180. Like, growing the game only helps you make more when you win championships because yeah. the more people we have in golf, the more eyes we have on it, the more sponsorships, the more entertainment value, the more viewers, the more money, the more championships, period. Yeah. So, like, he's starting to get it. Now, I, I'm i the same way. If you talked to me about this conversation before, you know, and before I talked to Rory and before I, you know, become close with a lot of guys at the tour and trying to understand the situation, I'm still very, very, very green yeah. in this whole grand scheme of things. And I'm And I feel like I'm – more invested than most. Yeah. And that's the scary part. Yeah, it's like yeah. the tour players have the power, but we is is I mean, we would have to be in Ponte Vedra and sit in all the meetings for years to even remotely understand the whole grand scheme of things. Yeah. And as long as the tour is not taking advantage of us because of that, which in my personal opinion, I don't agree I don't think they are, because that would be bad for their business. The other guys, that's the, what they believe. Right. That's and what that, they've been told. That's yeah. what they've been told, yeah. and they believe that. And that's where – that is why we have this divide and have this lawsuit. And it's not to say that PGA Tour has done a perfect job in no. all this either. No. It, it's not. And, you know, it's there's there's been – yeah, there's things that have could have been changed many, many years ago to, to – I, I, I say hold off this threat, but real in reality, this you couldn't have competed the, with the, the money. The threat – the threat was Phil – using it as leverage against the tour instead of taking it to the tour and and doing you know and if phil comes out and says i tried to do that then i'll be wrong right but like i can but they didn't have meeting you know looking speculative back, you looking know back, we're speculating and i hate speculating no know, no but. well let's speculate a little more because looking oh, back <laughs> if i look at phil's quotes that were in the in ship nook's article about the you know the why would i want to play for them this is all for leverage blah 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 Looking back, does that seem uh, so? That gets published now. He's you know cut off from the tour basically um, at that time, right? He that was yeah. when things really blew up for him. If what if he was telling the truth in that, and what if this was part of a grand scheme of yes, we're just using this for leverage, and this is how we're going to get all of this pushed through at the PGA Tour, and that getting out screwed up the market for everything. I'm just theorizing on that. The more I'm thinking about it, and the more I'm understanding how changes get pushed through. The more I'm wondering, like, was he actually telling the truth in that at that moment? And then when it came out, then he was forced into making that decision. I don't know. That's a that's a that's a question I haven't 
fully fleshed out, but I'm thinking that right now. My biggest my biggest pet peeve is like if it wasn't for Liv, would these things happen? Like that that is that is the question. That is the that is the deep, like, you know, gutted question that tour players get to say like you should be thankful kind of thing. It's because of all the things that are happening. And, you know, it is very hard to say it's not a yes or no answer. If if it was a black and white answer, I'd say the answer to that would be yes. But the, my full answer, if I didn't have to answer yes or no, it's so unbelievably gray right. that it's... And, and I hate that question so yeah. much because there was things we could have done in the past. There's things a tour could have done in the past. There's things the players could have done in the past that could have avoided this. And we could have been at the same place we are now without it, yeah. with more of the top players playing in, in these tournaments. I, and, and maybe that is me being an optimist... And that that could have happened. Maybe it couldn't. Again, this is all speculative. I want to believe that. I want to believe that we could be in this place without the other thing going on. Do I know if that's true? No one does. And that is where, you know, you watch Jay and they ask him those same press conferences. Like, you know, like people are saying, you should thank us for doing this because golf's in a better place because of that. You know, it's – I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I, at I, minimum it, it sped the timeline up of a lot of this yes, stuff. Yes, but my I, I and I and I agree with that. And is you know, you know, like we said, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, that's fine. If some one of the boats doesn't have a hole in it, yeah, and it sinks, yeah, right. You know, so I'm just make you know yeah. making sure that all of this all of this is in the better interest of our game because, like I said earlier, we are in starting to get in that thin space of air. <laughs> In terms of this, if we, if the golf, if the, if these players on this other tour think that their value is equal to NFL or NBA guys, they have been told something that is not true and believe it. Yeah. My value is not even remotely close to that. In the golf world that when you and I live in and we talk about every day in our circle, like we can, you know, we, we're stuck in our golf circle. But if you go to the general public and you ask who, how many guys you know in the NFL, how many guys you know in the NBA, how many guys you know in the MLB, how many guys you know in college football, let alone, right, versus how many guys you know on the PGA Tour. It is uncomparable. Yeah. So if these guys think that they're not getting paid their, their actual amount of dollars and, and they're comparing the two to each other, you've got to be so careful there. Yep. You've you're, you got to be so careful. Well, I'm getting a little bit hungry, and Southern Soul is calling, and uh, I want to be conscious of your time as well. Because I could, I, maybe we'll do like seven more parts of this this fall as more <laughs> stuff comes out. You're, I, I still think you're about the perfect guy to talk to in all this. So I greatly appreciate your time and insights and willingness to be open and uh, speak on all these topics. So thanks for having me. Well, I, I, um, I enjoy these. It, it helps me channel all these, uh, you know, stuff. emotions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's emotional. It's our, you know, it's it's a. The guys made a business decision to go to live. We're making a business decision to stay with PGA Tour. People change companies all the time, and it's competitive, and it's, it is what it is. It's just the first time it's happened in golf, and no one really knows how to deal with it. So, it's still all so incredibly which, surreal. Which brings me back to tour players playing golf as their job versus golf as fun. And we talked about this off air, but how you know I enjoyed golf so much, and I enjoyed golf architecture. I enjoy golf courses. I enjoy golf equipment. I enjoy golf clubs. I enjoy golf style. I enjoy everything golf. And this has taken, I wouldn't say taken that away. It's just changed a lot of people's views of the game of a bunch of millionaires fighting over, you know, TV rights and stuff. Like, I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but like, 
a lot of the PGA Tour players play golf because they like to play golf. A lot of PGA Tours play golf because it makes them a lot of money. A lot of PGA Tours players, you know, are might be really good at business, but having to be better at golf and vice versa, right? Like, I think Maverick McNeely could have been on Wall Street, and he just happens to be better at golf, right? Like, this, it's just – it is what it is. And this has taken that away. Mm-hmm. So, back to what we talked about earlier. A lot more lighter topic was what – in my what I'm trying to do in order to make golf fun again. And I have um, curated a set of golf clubs <laughs> from the past 25 years of my golf playing career of the favorite clubs that I've ever used. My Sweetens Cove uh, McKenzie carry bag that I will play. Now it's off season. I will have like five or six weeks off now. And if I take my staff bag and my clubs and everything and I go try to play fun golf or have a beer out there on the golf course or go play in the afternoon nine holes, it's hard to get that, like, feeling that you played with your dad after school in nine holes and just went to go have fun. And, yeah, yeah of course you want to try to shoot a low score, but, like, you weren't thinking about it like life or death, like lose my card, keep my card, get in the majors, et cetera. You played golf because you enjoyed it. And at some point in time, everyone on the PGA Tour did that. I don't care what they say. Mm-hmm. They would not be this invested in it. So – you know, I'll go in the afternoon now, carry my bag with this this awesome. I mean, I got a, like a 975D, a PT3 wood, the original set of Mizuno blades that I had, some cool wedges and a putter that I used. I mean, I'll never forget the original Scotty Cameron putter that I used that my dad cut down for me. I got it refurbished from Scotty Cameron. I caddied for my dad all summer one year, bought it in the in the Honors Course Pro Shop with all the money I made caddying for my dad. You know, it was like 100 bucks for like, three months right but it didn't matter <laughs> right and i bought that putter and when i got on tour my my gift from scotty was he took it back and refurbished it back to the original condition and it was like you know congratulations you know this is like your momentous for the tour and like i can go putt with that putter now and have all those really cool badass emotions that got me into the game and reminds me why i'm here why we're having these conversations is those days with my dad playing nine holes in the afternoon, carrying my bag or carrying his bag when he was playing the club championship with all his buddies. It's just, that's, I'm trying to really maximize that in my off time in the next couple of weeks. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like <laughs> the, the, the soul, I hate to even say the soul of the game. It, it feels so far from everything we're yes, talking about. I know. You know? And like, like, we're reading up on these articles and these things that like, I would have never imagined in the game of golf. You know, all I used to care about was hitting that, you know, seven iron or that four iron, you know, the, that perfectly chipped clip, uh, clipped chip, you know, or making a, a putt and, you know, hitting a long drive and all that stuff I feel like has been, I don't want to say stripped away. That's not the right word. It's just, you get m- numb to it almost. Yeah. It's like you're, you're channeling your energy into something completely different now, you know, and the guys that aren't you know, that are, can still kind of be behind that. And I don't, it's, it's, it, it's lucky in a way, yeah. you know, but then you're just putting trust into everyone else. And it's just that line that you have to draw of ignorance versus um, information, you know, love versus passion versus facts and stats. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's just, like we said, just turned gray. Yeah. And my goal in the next six weeks is like, literally let's, let's find the real reason you're here. Let's find the real reason you love golf. Like I used to like 
my dad was on the board of the Donald Ross Society, and he took me to Mimosa Hills back in the day when I was probably in like second grade because they were going to do the renovation of that golf course. And I'd never forget riding around and looking at the bunkers and talking about the bunkers and the green shade. That stuff matters to me. It doesn't matter to everybody, but it mattered to yeah. me. And that is the, that is the beauty of the game that I am so excited to be to kind of not reinvent, but just light the flame under again. Hmm. You feel like you're is burned out too strong of a word but is professional golf wear away on you in that in those terms over the years it no because i love competing more than anything period yeah like i love tournament golf more than anything hmm. i love the feeling of walking up you know a hole with the stands full of people and you hit it and you hit you know a great wedge shot to 10 feet and are even closer and the crowd erupts and you're walking up the hill and you're reading the putt and you want to make that putt and you're playing against the best like i'm you can't replicate what i did with rory on saturday at the rbc when he played great and i played great and we're battling back and forth and you know i i didn't win he won but it doesn't matter like that feeling to me is greater than anything so no the competitive side doesn't burn me out the physical side you'll get burnt out mentally and physically but not from the competing side. Mm. It's the enjoyment side outside of competitive that I've, in a way, lacked. Mm -hmm. Because every time I go to the golf course, I feel like it's work and I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to hone my skills, which is your job, the, my job, and it's the right thing to do. But I'm saying, like, I haven't gone out and played nine holes, 18 holes, and not cared how I hit the ball, how I chipped, how I putted in 10 years. Hmm. Well, it's also just the time doesn't – you, the calendar is so packed with, with tour events that, like, you don't have the time to, to get right. back in touch with that, really. Right. And, and it's, it's like I, I some, some of our friends that play on tour, I want to be like, hey, we're going on a trip to Pinehurst. Yeah. Do you want to come? Why do you want to travel to play golf? And they're, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, why exactly. would I do that? Exactly. But if, uh, you know, in a lighter schedule, it might make perfect sense of like, you know, again, I, I see it sometimes too when you play with some guys when you're having, you know, they play professionally that they're having a couple of drinks and having fun and you're playing to, as the sun's setting and they, they're fight, they're a totally different person than they are when they compete on the tour. And it's like, you can see the fun and the love for the game that probably got you into it in the first place that just over time, you just get a little numb to it. I mean, you, you, you play, I, I got to admit, like, no one will want to hear this and want to, they'll want to punch before it, but like you get a bit numb to playing really great golf courses eventually. Yes. You have to be in, oh, insanely yeah. numb to it. I mean, like, yeah. you, there's, there's, not only, a, there's, there's nothing only, that can amaze you. Well, there's two places that still do. I do go on golf trips to the Honors Course where mm -hmm. I grew up because it's emotional. It's a great place. They just redid it. I, it opened last week. I cannot wait to go see what it's like. And I go to a hoopie, and the hoopie is so much more than golf. It's great. Like, in, in, I've been very fortunate to be able to go and enjoy some time. They already have a trip planned to both places in this fall, right? I love to go to golf there. And I've always talked about the British Open in St. Andrews. Like, I think that is one of the greatest places in the world to enjoy golf, enjoy the game. Like, have a pint of Guinness, you know, or Bellhaven, whatever you fancy, um, you know, and play that style of golf. Like, it is so different playing in the British Open. Like, I get so excited to go to the British Open or the Open Championship and play these in this tournament but then when i get there it's like i remembered it when i was a kid when my sister went to st andrews and i went and, and i and went with my dad and i enjoyed it so much and then playing in the open championship is totally different it's totally different and finding that balance between the two is a personal 
preference that I'm trying to, you know, keep in touch with. There's Lynx Golf and there's everything else. <laughs> it's so true. It's just, it's a totally different, I mean, yeah, there, I, I could pick out like the worst golf, the worst course I've played in Scotland. I don't even know what it would be. And I probably wouldn't pay, take 10 courses in the U.S. Uh, there's not 10 courses in the U.S. I'd rather play over those. Like, I just love that style that much. Yeah, it's and, just so much fun. And, and some people like, you know, you, you just think about the geography of golf courses where you think about places like Wingfoot and in and, and the Northeast style. And then you place like, you know, Florida and then places like, you know, uh, California and Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach. You know, and then places like Bandon Dunes in Ireland. Like, there's so many styles of courses now that, like, you, and even Sweden's Cove. Like, mm-hmm. you talk about just fun, right? Like, we're going to JT Poston's bachelor party at Sweden's Cove um, in, like, two or three weeks. Are you staying in the birdhouse? Uh, no. Oh. Sorry. Maybe. Okay. Do you know somebody? I don't know. <laughs> I know someone, but I don't know if it was booked up. <laughs> but, you know, just these things like that that, I, that are so cool about our sport that we – all we talk about now, like I remember, can you remember when they had those, those the golf channel shows that would highlight all these things and the golf and all the golf magazines? That's like all they cared about and talked about. Now we're in the middle of like this, yeah. and it is deep, dark. I mean, we're throwing moral things on people about the game, and we're throwing like. 501Cs on people about the game. And the and vitriol that people have and passion around it. Like, is, I've never had to block more people in my life. I uh, know. And, you know, I hate to say it, it's the biggest story in golf since Tiger Woods. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's enormous. I got reporters calling me from non, non-sports places just try, trying to document everything that's yeah. going on. It's, it's amazing. I, I mean, oh, I can't wait. I mean, you know, I don't want to touch the subject, but the Netflix thing coming out. Oh like, my God. Like that's the thing. Like as a tour player who claims that they own, you know, like we run the tour is excited about the Netflix documentary that documented me and all my peers in this Most saga. And I ever. can't wait to watch it. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think Lewis Hamilton like can't wait to get home and watch Drive to Survive. I think he's nervous about it, but this is yeah, this is just this is going to be gosh, yeah. And they've I've by all accounts my understanding is they've they've not had any no again, the tour does not have editorial control over it at all. So I think they they I think we're going to see a lot of what's going on in that. I don't know how many times they've had to reposition their plan <laughs> yeah. for what they're going to do. But uh, it's going to be must-see TV for sure. It, that's what it shows you how big of a story is. If people, if the even the tour players want to watch it to try to understand the situation they're living in, that yeah. shows you how big it is. They need to do some like uh, some of the tablet stuff that like was in the Last Dance of like you interview one person and then show that to you know Isaiah Thomas interview goes and he shows that to Michael Jordan and he gets to react to it because like it's going to be two sides of yeah. like well yeah they screwed us over here and then you can get. So and so, I'd be like, "No, we didn't screw him over." Blah blah blah. That would make for some. If they, you can give me some producer credit for that, if you <laughs> if you guys need to. But that's a free idea for you. So, all right, let's get some barbecue. Uh, let's get this published. I know people are going to be uh, excited to listen to this, and uh, yeah, greatly appreciate uh, the going out going out on a limb with all this stuff. This was uh, this was highly additive, I think, to the conversation in general. I'm rooting for the game. Let's put it that way. Oh, what a great way to close it. Cheers, bud. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 